Hello and welcome to this episode of The Stampede. I'm Michael Curley. And I'm Joe Spinorshin. We have a special episode lined up for you today. We have a special guest from the Seattle NHL hockey team. And as everybody knows, especially in New England, it's mid-April. And mid-April means playoff hockey. That's right, Joe. And I mean, obviously, every year, the expectation around Boston, around New England, is that the Bruins are going to not just make the playoffs, but make a little bit of a run. And they had a little bit of a scary series there against Toronto, that first series. But uh, thankfully, uh, our Bruins were able to get home that series win. Yeah, I, I think I read a stat somewhere that the, the Maple Leafs haven't beat the Bruins in a playoff series since the late 60s. That could be true. But then I was like, I think it was also the last three game sevens that they played, the Bruins have won. It was They're three so it was, it was uh, obviously a couple nights ago when they beat when they beat Toronto at home. They beat Toronto last year on the road, I believe that, that one was, on the road last year in a game seven in the first round. And then it was 2013 when the Bruins uh, made the run to the Cup, lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, in six, but it was game seven of the and the Bruins were down. What was it? Three to one, I believe it was. Yeah, and they with like no, they, no, they were down four to one. Four and to they came one. Back and won five to four in overtime. Patrice yeah, Bergeron yeah, yeah, scored yeah, yeah. that goal. Yeah, yeah, because I remember because they scored. I think it was Lucic scored that first one, and I remember um, Jack Edwards was like, "We still got life in this building," and mm-hmm. then and then scored the other one, and then Bergeron scored the tying goal with like forty-seven seconds left, I think it was, mm-hmm. and then he scored the one in overtime too. That's right, Michael. Just like round two, uh, game one that um, was was last night, Charlie Coyle started uh, tied the game up at two and then won the game in overtime. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, a Massachusetts native uh, from Weymouth, Massachusetts, scored that one. So it's really great. I mean, the Bruins, the Bruins are playing well. It's just it's so tough to be from Boston right now, Joe. I mean, you got the Patriots <laughs> winning the Super Bowl, the Red Sox won the World Series, the. Bruins are going to make a deep playoff run because they're going to get by Columbus in six. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. Columbus, Columbus, first round. You you hear the the um the slogan they had for for the second round? No. First round victory was not our goal. Oh, too bad. I mean, they're let's gonna, see they, how that, that's that's a bold move. Let's but, see how that plays out for them. It's just my problem is I mean for this series especially that yeah they won in four games against Tampa Bay which no one not many people could have predicted. I, I mean well I think it was like forty seven percent. Of brackets or something like that had Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup, and yeah. the and the, the NHL like they do the bracket challenge. They mm-hmm. came out with the second chance challenge, first time ever, just to make it. just to make people people feel good because they picked uh, Tampa Bay, and yeah. they're like, oh crap, uh, I was wrong. Yeah, but I feel like it's been a long layover. The Bruins played seven games. They were down three two in the series. Came back, one game six on the road, one game seven at home. They're gonna be buzzing. They're gonna be. I mean, obviously. Columbus is hot. They had won eight of the last nine. I think it was heading into the playoffs. And I they, think I think all this and time they, off, and then they swept Tampa. But that's the thing. I think all the time off. I mean, they had like a week where there was a point where they were just scrimmaging. At I think I saw it on, on like the Spit and Chicklets Instagram for Barstool, um, the hockey podcast. There was a point where like they had a practice and they were just scrimmaging, and they had fans. They had I think it was like five thousand fans. I think they said or something something crazy like that, just sitting there and watching them scrimmage at practice, and it's stuff like that. They're not like obviously. They're doing drills and they're working and everything, but such a long layover. A scrimmage time in practice is a lot different than the Bruins playing seven games against one of their rivals in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, and especially coming off a Game 7 win like at home. The, the momentum is totally different having a month off, almost a month off. Not actually, but it's a long time. It was like a week, a week and a half for yeah. Columbus to have off, which is which is 
Uh, I, think it was, I think it was a week, which in playoff hockey is a long time. Yeah, especially playing like every other day in the playoffs, basically, and occasionally like you get the random round in round two. They have, I think I was looking at the at the predicted schedule. They have like t- two days off one time in the second round, maybe. Yeah, yeah, because usually they kind. Of, I mean, sometimes they give a day for travel, but it really kind of depends on the series. But I mean, they work the Bruins the basketball schedule. And, all, and also there. another thing with the Bruins is that they're they have home ice after beating t- uh, Toronto, Tampa Bay losing. And Calgary losing out west. If they were to make it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, they would have home ice for the entire rest of the playoffs. The Bruins. Yeah. So we can we can thank Columbus for that. Yeah, thank you, Columbus. I mean, it's good for the Bruins because that's a lot of momentum. Because having a game, a potential. I doubt the Bruins are going to need to get the game seven in any series because they're good. Mm-hmm. Um. But, I think Toronto's the best team left. I think the Toronto was, was the best, the best team, left. team left, and then I think that, that Toronto was probably the Bruins' toughest matchup in the playoffs. And There's always a rivalry. There. It's always a rivalry. It's always a great series. Seven games. Bruins won, obviously, and Columbus is a good team. Don't get me wrong. They had to, but the problem is with them, they had to scrap their way into the playoffs. They won like I think it was eight of the last nine. I think, like I said earlier, eight of the last nine to get into the playoffs. I think it was it was something like that, and then they had to beat then they beat Tampa in four, which was just crazy. But the Bruins, knowing that they have home ice for the playoffs, is just going to help them. Yeah. And it's, it gives them momentum because they know, oh, if we have to go to seven, which obviously, obviously they don't want to, but that game seven at home in your home barn is going to be a lot different than having a game seven on the road. Especially against such a rival team. And, and talking about rival teams, you know, it could go either way, you know, especially yeah. with rivals, yeah. no matter how, like who's good or who's not. And, you know, after we won the Cup in 2011, they had a little rivalry with the Canucks, only because they played each other, not really because of, you know, the divisions or whatever. But um, with with rivalries, Vancouver doesn't really have a rival yet. I mean, yeah, out, out West is just a little different. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the playoffs out there. I mean, everyone says that, like, the West Coast and the Western Conference, Eastern Conference are completely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about that Game 7 between San Jose and Vegas, which was a couple nights ago. And... It was 3 nothing Vegas. There was like 15 minutes left in the game. And I'm like, it's like, I forget what time it was. It was like right around midnight, maybe, maybe a little earlier. I was like, you know what? I'm going to bed. I don't need to watch this game. Vegas yeah, is game over. Yeah, game over. Vegas is going to win this series. Vegas is going to go on to play Colorado. Especially after the run they, pl- they had last year. You, I mean, that run like, they had last year, I mean. No way they blow this. And I was watching the games before. Games, I mean, game six, game five, game six, um, they dominated San yeah. Jose. Oh, there was one game Martin Jones made. I think it was fifty-eight saves. Maybe mm-hmm. I think it was. I think it was fifty-eight saves in Game Six to get the win. That's absurd. Or fifty-eight. It was something like that. Yeah, because I think I saw a stat. It was him and Ben Bishop in one of their ser- uh, Dallas series. They both made like fifty-something saves in one of their games. Mm-hmm. I forget which games it was respectively, but they both made an absurd amount of saves. But I was watching the series before, and I'm like, okay, Vegas is dominating. They're gonna win. Mm-hmm. So I go to bed three nothing. I wake up in the middle of the night, I forget when it was, and I start checking my phone. Yeah, of And course. I go on Instagram, and I see an NHL video of, like, San Jose scoring. They're like, this is madness. I'm like, what? So then I, I go to the profile of the San Jose Sharks, and all of a sudden, I, the first picture I see is, like, San Jose advances. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. And then I started watching videos of, like, all the goals and what happened. And it was just, I would never, if you, if I had gone to bed and you told me, San Jose is going to come back and win this game 5-4 to four in overtime. I'm like, yeah, all right, buddy, go kick some rocks. Yeah. No. Like, I would never, ever have predicted that to happen. Yeah, but the call. The call, 
Let's all right. So here's the call. So it was Cody Eakin uh, in the faceoff um, circle. He was taking a faceoff, and mm-hmm. it was in the San Jose end, I believe. Mm-hmm. No, it was in the uh, no, it was in the Vegas end. It was in the Vegas yeah, end. It was in the Vegas end. I think I don't know. Yeah, Either way, was, he was taking no, yeah. He was taking a faceoff, and it was him again, uh, Joe Pavelski. And so what happened was they took the faceoff, and Cody Eakin kind of threw a little, little bit of a cross check uh, right to um, Pavelski's chest. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, which he probably, honestly, he probably does that ninety nine times out of a hundred. I mean, a lot of centers probably do that play, but just doesn't get caught. Yeah, you you don't need to get caught. It's not a dangerous play. It's just trying to knock the other guy off the puck. It wasn't a malicious cross check. It was more like, I just want this guy away from the puck because obviously my team wants a puck. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then I think it was uh, uh, David Perron, I believe, came from the wing to um, to come and get the puck. And right when he did. Like, he also hit Pavelski at the same time as Cody Eakin hit him. So, when you're watching it live... It doesn't look bad, except for the fact that he's laying there motionless on the ice, Joe Pavelski. Yeah, Joe Pavelski's down on the ice. He's hurt. It doesn't look it dirty. Was not, if, you watch the, if you watch that play again in slow-mo, it's not a dirty hit. It's not malicious. Eakin does not hit him in the head. He hits him in the chest, and right when he hits him, Perron comes over and hits him again. I believe it was uh, Daniel Perron. Um, but... It's not a malicious hit. It's not dirty. I don't get... I mean, I think at most he should have maybe gotten a double minor for cross-checking. If they can even give a double minor for cross-checking. I'm not sure if they can. But, I mean, just to see... Just like to see that they give Cody Eakin here a five-minute misconduct to give San Jose a five-minute major. Where on major penalties, obviously, if you... Can score. You don't get the like on, on regular power plays. You get the you get the man back on the ice, but on majors you don't. That one call right there, which I was not a major in my opinion, it was a, not a good call. It wasn't a major in the NHL's opinion today. But, and they also came out and today and, and said that was the wrong call made last night. And, all, and also, what happened was no one on the ice put their hands up right when it happened. It was no one, after no one called. No one called the penalty when it happened. I yeah. mean, yeah, obviously if they're gonna call it right when it happens. Fine, but they waited to see Pavelski hurt. They saw him hurt and go, oh, maybe we'll give him a five-minute major. They give Eakin a five-minute major. San Jose scores, I think it was four goals in four minutes and like 10 seconds or something like that. They take a 4-3 lead. Jonathan Marshall, so with like 47 seconds left, scores a goal to tie the game up. And then in overtime, it was like 18 minutes into overtime, I think it was. It was a long first overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, San Jose goes down and scores the game-winning goal to win 5-4. It was what they're saying is it might be one of the greatest Game 7s, of first-round Game 7s at least, like in history, in terms of a comeback. Not in terms of like... But it happened overall. on a but, bogus call. But the way it happened... I mean, obviously, watching that game, I mean, it was an amazing game to watch the replays of. It's going to be a game yeah. that no, as, that people are going to be talking about for years to come. But and It's always going to go back to that hit. Oh, it, it's, but it's always going to go back to the hit. That, that call doesn't happen, call. that game ends. It's if that, over. If that call doesn't happen, Vegas is winning that game 5 Five nothing, four nothing, five nothing, and we can talk about how malicious. There was no intent at all to hurt Pavelski. It was a freak Eakin play didn't hit him in the head. Where Eakin comes over, he stands up. They kind of get tangled up. He Pavelski he, he starts him, to lose, pull, lose his balance, and then he right? gets hit again. And then whoever on the right wing comes in and just kind of gets tangled up with him. And yeah, his yeah, legs yeah. fly up, and his and his head hits ice. Yeah, it, and uh, the penalty, in my opinion, the ref saw blood. They saw blood I think, on the I think ice. They saw the they blood. Saw and they saw him, saw him out moving. Yeah, and they go, "All right, five minutes." But yeah. if you if you can't review penalties, that's this is the thing, you can't review penalties. 
if you've already called them. Yeah, exactly. Which the only thing you, you can should, do is you stand also, with your other refs and say, what did you see? What did you see? None of them saw anything. None of them. But all they saw was the blood after it. So they're yeah. like, oh, going to give him five in a major. And which if, and if you go what back, the NHL came out today and said it, it was not a dangerous play, like, intentionally. It wasn't a cross check. He kind of just no. gave him a two hands to the chest, yeah. which is legal. Exactly. And it, it was just a freak play. He got tangled up. He went head first. He started bleeding. Hand hand goes up after the fact. You know, that could piss people off because it's after. Yeah. But. Yeah, Vegas. So overall, after But what does this do happened, for the future of that rivalry? That's what I was about to say. Vegas got completely screwed. They should be in the second round right now playing Colorado. They probably would have murked Colorado. Probably. And I mean, um, I just, I don't know. But. It'll be really interesting to see the scheduling for next year and see what I would love to see the NHL do put for their schedule. Game. Put them no, but I'll put them outdoor. Put them the first game opening of the season, night. first game opening and night, the last. opening night, and like the last night or something yeah. like that. Vegas play to San Jose. Mm-hmm. If that would happen, just all that tension I'd fly. would I'd still fly be out all that tension play. would still be there. It's gonna be an unbelievable series next year between those two teams. There's been some bad blood between them. I mean, obviously, they're both in the Pacific Division, so they kind of have a rivalry. But now, after this, it's just even even worse. And 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 didn't they play in the first round last year? I believe so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what are the chances they play again in the first round next year? I don't know. <laughs> That's going to be a brutal seven games, potentially. Actually, I don't, know, I don't know if they played in the first round last year. I think they did. No, well, I know Vegas was the one seed. Was San Jose that, that low? I don't know. I mean, either way, they do play each other often. And, yeah, because they're right next to each other. And just to see how that blood's going to be in that series next year, it's just uh, I don't even I don't know what's going to happen with it because like people are going to be like, oh, we're not going to forget this. We're not going to forget that awful call. Vegas is not going to anybody's going to forget it. San Jose probably is thinking to themselves, oh, like we got lucky a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know. Whatever. I'm sure. I'm sure everybody on the San Jose team knows they're lucky that they got that call, except for probably Pavs. He probably doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows how long, how long he's going to be out for? Yeah, I don't think we'll see him again in the second round. We might not. Who knows? Um, but anyways, so kind of just more about the Western Conference. More about rivalries. Yeah, rivalries. So, so what do you got? We got now we got Vegas and in San Jose. You know, you got Bruins, Canadians, got Bruins, Toronto because of all the game 7s they've played in the last 5 years or 6 years, yep. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have this this little rivalry with the Flyers because they're original 6 and and all these teams we played in our 2011 Stanley Cup run. And you know, the the, the year after the Bruins won the Cup 2012, I remember, you know, the goals were scored like in the regular season in 2012 regular season or the 2011 2012 regular season yeah, yeah, the yeah. season after um you know they're still pumping their chests at each other like doing all the same celebrations that happened in June yeah the season before and 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 the Canucks like after you know they the Sedins retired you know they don't have a rivalry they anymore. stink what do you, what do you so they stink. this this is where this this is where our this um, is where our topic comes in. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, this, obviously, we're like more about the playoff. Like we talked about the playoffs and everything, but we actually, um, we, uh, obviously, we were out in Seattle uh, a couple couple weeks ago at the uh, STN convention, and uh, Joe and I and uh, our partner Aiden Mulligan, uh, we were trying to get a uh, interview with the NHL Seattle team for our podcast contest at the convention. 
Unfortunately, that fell through. But uh, Yeah, schedules didn't line up. Uh, they were super nice about it. It was just nobody was around. Yeah, which was tough. But, I mean, uh, obviously Joe and I, um, be hockey guys, we were still interested in it. Mm-hmm. So, Always interested in playoff hockey and talking hockey about anything. Yeah, exactly. You know, speaking of us being in Seattle, we were, we were around culture. We went to a Mariners game, um, and they had this thing where their crowd's like part of their team, and that's super cool. But they want to get the crowd more involved in their sports, mm-hmm. and they just got approved, um, you know. Last December. Last December yep. um, to have an NHL team. Yep. So Seattle will be gaining an NHL franchise, and Joe and I, uh, with our connections and everything, we were able to make a connection with uh, the VP of Marketing uh, for the NHL Seattle group, Heidi Detmer. So we actually talked with her for over an hour, uh, just about the um, the Seattle group and just everything in general. So Like everything about the Seattle group. I asked her so many questions, and she was super nice, and she was super great. So why don't we just take a second to listen to that? Hello and welcome back to the Stampede. I'm Joe Spadorsha alongside Michael. How are you today, Michael? Doing all right, Joe. How are you doing? And I'm all right. Uh, we're joined here by Heidi Detmer. Uh, she is the VP of Marketing for the NHL Seattle Group. Thanks for being here, Heidi. Thanks for having me, you guys. Uh, we're, we're super excited to hear more about the, the uh, up-and-coming uh, new Seattle team. Uh, so, Michael, you want to get us started off with the questions? Of course. So, um, obviously, we hear that, like, you're the VP of the marketing, so we kind of want to just kind of get a little more of a background about that. So, what exactly is your role as the VP of marketing for the NHL Seattle group? That's a great question. And let me tell you, we're still kind of in startup mode, so we're all wearing a ton of hats right now. It's very much a skeleton crew. So, uh, right now, as the VP of marketing, I lead our, our very small marketing team, and we oversee a, I oversee a number of areas, including digital, which is kind of what you see on our website, uh, social media channels, as well as content creation. So a lot of those video pieces that you see throughout those channels. Uh, I also oversee creative. So that's kind of our design, look and feel, our voice, our tone. Um, and that's kind of interesting right now, because as you guys know, we don't actually have a brand yet. So we're kind of working under a temporary look and feel. Um, we also oversee engagement. So kind of how we have this list of season ticket member deposit holders, as well as a pretty large wait list to get on the season ticket member list. Wow. And then just kind of fans in the area that have shared general interest. So how do we keep them engaged and keep momentum going for, you know, the 30 months <laughs> until the puck drops? <laughs> Um, and then there's a couple other things that I'll just kind of rattle off. There's the brand piece. So building our brand identity, doing all the good discovery work to really understand what's going to resonate here, what kind of is at the essence and the core of our brand and organization. Um, and then lastly, there's this research component, right? We haven't had a season yet with our fan base, so we don't know a ton about them yet. So how do we go out there and really get to know our fans um, deeply so we can uh, provide the best fan and customer experience? That is that is a lot that just you, that just you do. That's, that's crazy. So feel free to ask, jump in and ask questions on any of that. I have, I have about a million questions. Um, 
Uh, I'm gonna go a little bit off script here. I have a question about um, the the branding, and I, I actually had a couple questions about that, but I'll I'll, I'll limit it down to one. Um, how much inspiration do you pull from other teams or previous teams that have uh, based their main location in Seattle, like uh, the the Seahawks or the super the former team, the SuperSonics in the NBA? How much do you pull for for like branding? Do you use their color scheme or like how, how does that impact uh, the engagement by the fans as well? Yeah, that's a really really good um, question. We've actually been talking about that a lot. I know I mentioned this to you guys a bit earlier, but we've been doing a lot of fan listening and listening to what they're doing on social media and bringing them in for these fan forums. And we always ask that question, like, hey, blue and green, that's what mm-hmm. the Sounders are, that's what the Seahawks are, that's what the Mariners are. Do we stick to the same color scheme and let all sports fans in Seattle have the same closet of blue and green? Or do we really differentiate and go outside of that scope and look for something new and fresh that they haven't seen before? Um, so it's, it's really interesting you brought that up because it's a point that we're debating internally right now. And as far as looking at the competitive landscape, absolutely. We look at the teams in Seattle, in Portland, in Vancouver. We're going to have some strong rivals to the north with the Canucks, mm-hmm, yeah. who are also blue and green. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we've also done some exercises where we just lay out all the teams in the league in order of color, and if you do that, you see trends like, you know, there's actually quite a bit of red and black out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we definitely, definitely take into consideration all these other color schemes and see, okay, where can we differentiate? What are the gaps? Um, or do we want fans to have this kind of civic pride of blue and green? So something we're debating. And then as far as names go, if you look at the competitive landscape or just across all, you know, sports, uh, leagues and industries there are a lot of kind of you see common verticals right yeah. so you have kind of this the animal names mm-hmm. you know yep. yeah exactly seahawks which is almost a mythical animal mm-hmm. and then you have these industrial names like the oilers and the steelers and the packers and then you have kind of these um, geographical names like the Avalanche and the, you know, the White Panther yeah. is the soccer team. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting when you start to lay all the names out, you look at the verticals and then you try and figure out what's going to really land well in this market because while we want to be a global brand, it's so, so, so important that we win locally first. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, you had mentioned earlier about how you guys kind of like uh, want to see how the fans react to the new team and you kind of want to learn your fan base a little more. Do you guys use the other Seattle teams? Like, do you guys think that your like, this fan base for the new team will be kind of like similar to the Seahawks or the Mariners? Like, do you guys use any of those statistics to see how your fan, fan base possibly could be? Yeah, we do. And I'm a little bit biased because I worked for both the Seahawks and the Sounders organization. Oh, wow. And actually, um, our leadership team launched the Sounders and led the Seahawks for years, and so we're very close to those fans as well. Um, And I would say, yeah, we do look at that data, um, but we think the city has changed so much and it's continuing to boom, and Mm -hmm. we have a lot of -of out-of-towners now, a lot of them coming from traditional hockey markets. And so we do feel like there's this big opportunity outside of Seahawks and Sounders fans um, that we can really tap into and try and differentiate. So, 
yes, there will definitely be crossover, but this is going to be unlike anything that this fan base has seen before. You guys are hockey players. You yeah. know how incredible that live experience is. Absolutely. That's crazy. NHL. Yeah, so I think um, we have a un- we're uniquely propositioned to um, kind of do well in that, that area and find the gaps. I would also say we don't have a winter sport. Right? Yeah, that's true. So that, there's that opportunity. And then um, you may have heard of the Seattle Supersonics. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have you yeah. heard of the Seattle Supersonics? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, Seattle feels a little burned because they loved their Supersonics when it was a championship team. Uh-huh. And they were kind of sent away and that was our big winter sport that everyone loved in fact they played in the the same arena that we're renovating right now so i think that also kind of creates this great storm of opportunity um which is i think the result of that was that we had this um you know i think we were all really pleasantly surprised when we went on sale with our season ticket deposits and kind of exceeded the number that we were aiming for uh, and then I have a question. You mentioned the arena and uh, you're renovating the, the arena. Um, with the construction of Key Arena, what other steps have been made around Seattle uh, construction, like changes in taxes, et cetera, in order to make sure the city is ready for, for an NHL franchise? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> There's a lot of things. I'll tell you. So I started here back in June almost a year ago and the team was awarded in December, December 4th. So between June and December 4th and quite frankly, years before I joined in June, there are a lot of milestones we needed to hit before being awarded a team. One of them was selling proof of demand and selling a certain amount of deposits and showing the NHL that we were ready. Um, Another one was, proving to them that we have a, we can build and we will have a world-class arena that is suited for hockey, right? And so part of that um, included uh, city council approval. It included a big um, kind of environmental document that we had to create. Um, And the kind of craziest thing of all is this will be an entirely privately funded building. So we, um, we've had to do a lot. That's kind of my short high level answer to, there was a lot we had to, I think I can use the word overcome Uh to really prove that we're NHL ready. And, um, it's been tried before many times and, uh, we were able under this great leadership of the Liebeke brothers, Tim with OBG and Todd, um, here at NHL Seattle, we were, were able to um, pull it off. And the arena project is one of the most, you know, the wildest engineer marvels that I've seen. It fascinates me. I've never been a part of a, a project um, of this magnitude. It's right here at Seattle Center, which is kind of the cultural center of our city. It sees, gosh, 12 million people a year of all different cultures. Um, so it really is, we feel like there's a lot of nobility in this project that we could really revive this part of the city by providing this world-class venue that will not only host 44 home games for hockey a year, but will be the home of the future NBA team, will host the WNBA, and will also bring in 
world-class music performances that this city has really never seen before because we never had the proper arena to host them. Um, why, in your opinion, why is this in expansion Excuse me, important from a hockey level or a National Hockey League level? Um, yeah, I think I'll try and answer that question. You let me know if I'm, if I'm answering it correctly. But um, yeah, so from a community standpoint, a hockey standpoint, so we just hired um, Maria Horda. If you look her up online, she's incredible. She's going to be our VP of philanthropy and community engagement. She is. She just joined us. And she was the CEO of the Arts Fund and has this longstanding uh, background in philanthropy. And she, one of her big initiatives um, will, she's putting together her strategy right now. I should kind of preface it with that. Like, we're just crafting these things now. But we know that bringing the game of hockey to the youth in Seattle is going to be a major priority and a really big outcome of the NHL coming here. And so, um, and you know, not for the sake of selling jerseys and selling <laughs> tickets and building young fans. Like, yes, there are business strategies to getting kids to games and things like that, sure. But really, for the sake of teaching the kids of this community life lessons, leadership skills, empowering them to try new things, to be creative and explore a sport that this town hasn't really seen. I mean, we do have youth hockey here, but I think this is just gonna elevate it. Um, and guess, get this, you guys, you're not even gonna believe this. In the city of Seattle right now, in the city limits, there is no ice. No. A single ice ring. No way. For hockey. Zero? Is that crazy? For that actually is. Does that just seem so crazy? So kind of back to your background a little bit. Uh, you had mentioned earlier as well that you worked for the Seahawks and the Sounders. So in your obviously limited time so far in, in the NHL, like what are the main differences you've seen so far in and how being a marketing in the NHL is differs at all from the marketing in other leagues? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I'm learning a lot. So this is really exciting. I just recently met all the other um, teams in Detroit and, and learned a ton. So that was really cool. Um, so but speaking toward, and you know, I should back up and say this is a really unique situation because we're building a brand from scratch mm -hmm. um, in a city that needs a lot of education about the sport itself. So I think that's one big component is you know, we definitely have some diehard hockey folks here. We also have a lot of people from transplant traditional hockey markets. You guys would just die if you would have seen our Stanley Cup playoffs viewing party <laughs> week, last week. I guess it was last week. I mean, there were, I mean, there were so many different jerseys <laughs> yeah. everywhere. And we just looked around and we couldn't even believe it. We're like, you know, you, we would maybe expect a lot of Canucks jerseys. <laughs> yeah. But no, we had just as many Preds jerseys as we did Tampa jerseys and Blackhawks jerseys, Bruins jerseys. It was just really amazing. So, you know, we have this transplant community. But then we have this big group of fans that are just like cool, something really cool and exciting is coming and I want on board, but don't really know hockey that well. So I, I would say one thing that's super unique in what we're doing now is this um, educational piece. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I would just say, so that's different.
friends and I have experienced before, but I'll, I'll tell you a key takeaway, something that both the Seahawks and Sounders do really, really, really well is their fans almost have an ownership over the team and they have this, um, there's kind of this subtle peer pressure where if you don't watch every Seahawks game and if you don't show up and don't scream as loud as you can to create a false start, you're not doing your job and the team needs you. And that's yeah, how I noticed that fans. when we traveled there. Yeah. Yeah. They you they called the yeah the Seahawks uh they called the, their fans the twelfth man on the field, yeah. which is such a yeah. such a cool concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really powerful. And if you drive around town, you see more twelve flags than you see hawkhead flags. Yeah, you know, um, and it's because the team really needs them. Yeah, I mean, being a fan of any sports team is obviously a really important thing, especially for the franchise, because they need to know what's going on with their fans and what they want, pretty much, because that's obviously going to make them more successful. And, I mean, even being a fan, for example, like, for us, like, sometimes it's tough when, like, your team's not playing well. Like, the Red Sox, for example, haven't had a great start to the season. They got swept by the Mariners. Oh, no, they didn't. No, they they, they, uh, went one and three against the Mariners. Yeah, they, yeah, they, when we were there, we went, we went to a Mariners-Red Sox game, and uh, they lost. Right at, year after year after they win the World Series, they decide to be terrible at baseball when they start the series uh, start the season. Um, I have a million questions about branding. I'm just gonna ask one more before we uh, ask you know one of our last couple questions here. Um, yeah. Obviously, you said you know you have a million hats to wear, but uh, with one of them, you you mentioned social media. Um, I run the the sports. Well, me and me and Michael um, both run the the Mustang Sports. Um, we're the Nord Mustangs. We both run the the Norwood Sports High School Sports Twitter and Instagram. Um, and and it, when running like a social media, a lot of a lot of professional teams are now like leaning towards like having an identity, like a, a personality almost. And yeah. How how does one become good at that? So you mean kind of like the voice and tone behind the social media? Yeah. yeah like yeah, when I yeah. read Red Sox tweets, like I can hear it, like some guy with a Boston accent, like telling me, you know, Red Sox kid. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I hear that in my head, but I know like that's probably not what they look like. <laughs> yeah. You know. First of all, let me tell you this. I do not have that skill set. <laughs> I am amazed, amazed by the people that do. So kudos to you guys because that is not an easy um, job. But I can tell you there's a lot of power in having a really consistent voice and tone. Mm-hmm. And to me, that starts with that, what's at the very, very core of your brand so when you build a brand you know you there's all this discovery work it's very complicated i won't bore you guys with too much of that um but your voice and tone is part of that um playbook they call it a style guide usually and that um tone should be consistent also in the way the language in your emails and the language in your tv advertisements Mm -hmm. and you know, obviously different campaigns will vary in tone because some campaigns are a little bit more serious um, and some are a little bit more playful. So there's a range of that. Um, but I think it's really important to have a consistent um, kind of distinguished 
tone, and it's great if it's different than a, you know, the competitive landscape. Obviously, us being a high school podcast, um, a decent amount of high school students, uh, a lot of seniors as well, kind of hear our podcast, and like that's pretty much what we strive for, strive for our high school audience. But obviously, with you being in the marketing um, field and a lot of kids like us trying to figure out what they want to do, not just for college, but for beyond. So with you in your marketing position, if someone's listening who is thinking about marketing but's not really sure exactly like if it's for them or what to do, what's the what's a piece of advice that you have for someone who is thinking about the marketing field? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I would say, I mean, in sports especially, because it's a very unique um, type of marketing. So I, I started in sports, did that for a while, then I moved into tech totally away from sports and then back into sports. So I've experienced kind of uh, a couple of different uh, marketing, you know, areas and um, sports is very unique. And I think that I would say, first of all, you got to love what you do because mm-hmm. especially with sports and I haven't experienced hockey yet. Really? Um, but I mean, there's a lot of games. There's, yeah. you know, playoffs is always a really crazy time. You don't know who your next opponent's gonna be, but you have to roll out a whole marketing campaign, (laughs) have it ready to go. And so there's a lot of kind of crazy um, things. So I think having passion about what you're doing, um, whether it's the sport that you love, or if you really like connecting with different audiences and understanding them, and you really like communicating with people and seeing how they react. And, um, you know, I think passion's really important because It'll keep you from burning out, <laughs> so that's one piece. Yeah. I would so I would say um, try and experience it. Connect with your local sports team, if it's a college team, professional team. If you have, you know, start to network um, so you can really talk to people and get a feel if sports, um, that industry itself is best for you. And then just kind of myself, I always prioritize like what are the things that are the most important to me and I'll tell you throughout my career that's changed quite a bit like what do I value the most whether it's um you know good leadership or opportunity for growth or um you know your salary could be one and your Mm -hmm. benefits I would really kind of um sit down and make a list of your top three things and then just see how that aligns to what you're learning in when you go out and talk to other marketing, sports marketing professionals, because um, it would be really interesting what you find in, you know, different organizations will have different styles of leadership and um, different types of rooms for growth or different avenues of room for growth. And so um, I just really encourage people to go meet, network, meet with other people in the industry and make sure you really understand kind of what it is um, that's going to make you happy because if you're not passionate about what you're doing, it, it can be a tough industry to be in. Um, but if you are, it's, there's nothing more magical than game day mm-hmm. and seeing all of your hard work come together. And uh, it's just such a special feeling. Uh, and then it's even elevated in playoffs and playoffs are always a marathon for the front office. <laughs> <laughs> so much that needs to be done it's usually late nights and lots of hard work but everyone's so excited and you're in this team environment and uh, it's just such a fun and cool thing to experience uh, then the last thing is being in sports gives you a really unique platform to make a good community impact 
So what you just said, story you told about the player who had the injury and has formed a brotherhood with one of the Boston players. I mean, that stuff is what fulfills me the most, right? Mm -hmm. Sports connects people in a way that other industries just can't. And I think I always feel really, really lucky um, to see how much happiness, you know, a Seahawks player could bring to a children's hospital, mm-hmm. you know, and it's those kind of um, connections that are just so fulfilling. So I think it's you just got to think really hard about what's going to make you um, happy, really. Yeah, I think I might join the marketing field now. You really, you really have me sold. I'm not even going to lie. Um, I know. I feel like I'm selling everything I'm saying really hard <laughs> today, guys, but I truly am very passionate. And you probably hear it when I talk about the arena mm-hmm. and branding. It truly, truly is my passion. I feel so lucky to have found that. No, that's, that's awesome. And I know that you've just gone on and talked about how much you love your job. But um, if you weren't where you are today, in, in, in with the million hats you wear, but in, in marketing especially, what do you think you would be doing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so before this job, which I was so lucky to, to be kind of pulled into, I worked for Lyft, the rideshare company. Mm-hmm. And before this job, Lyft was like hands down the best company I've ever worked for. I loved it and I still love it. <laughs> um, but because of uh, experiencing Lyft, I think that if I wasn't in sports, I would want to be with a tech unicorn like Lyft that's scaling, it has high energy, it has a great brand, great leadership, um, and just kind of all those, those things really excite me too. And they're, they also, you know, Lyft um, and a lot of these other kind of tech, moving tech companies are truly trying to make the world a better place by um, having driverless cars on the road and mm-hmm. kind of efficiency in carpooling or whatever it is. I totally geek out on how technology can improve um, the world, really, yeah. which is super yeah. aspirational. Um, but you guys, if you get me going on um, like technology in the transportation space, I'm like such a geek about it. I just love it. So I think, yeah, a big tech unicorn would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, it's just amazing to see, like, I mean, not just you, but other people we've talked to throughout this podcast this year. They've been so passionate about something, and it really is inspiring just to see that, oh, like, someone's this inspired about something. I'm sure there's something out there. Even if you're skeptical about what exactly you want to do, there's always going to be something for you that you're really passionate about and you can really pursue for a career. It, I like. Oh wait, I have one more question. You have one more question. Well, I still I have a million questions actually. Yeah, so do I. But I, I don't want to waste about, your time. Yeah, 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 we don't really want to waste your time. We've been. Over an hour already, anyways. But um, I got time for I have time for one last question. Uh, I got one last question. So obviously, um, the uh, the franchise of the NHL team it really got announced in December, I believe it was. But you had mentioned December fourth. You, you you had mentioned you really started working in June. So, uh, what do you think the coolest part is for working for an NHL franchise, especially at its beginning stages like this? Oh, you guys. How am I going to answer that question? That's like the logo question I asked you. (laughs) There's so many things. I can't, I don't even know where to start. I think, um, can I give you the top three? Yes. Yeah, that'd be be great. (laughs) I'm not really by the book, so I'm going to give you three. 
Um, so one, the branding is super exciting for me because I'm a marketing brand nerd yeah, and that would be me. I've never created a brand from scratch. I've never um, been through this full process. So I'm just learning a ton and I love to learn. So there's the one thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is the arena project. Mm -hmm. My head explodes every time <laughs> I talk to the project manager. I'm just like, what? You're going to dig down and hold the roof up on stilts? And then you're going <laughs> to increase the size by 88%? How is that going to work? It's just, it doesn't seem real to me yet. So that part is just crazy. And then um, let me tell you guys, because I did a little bit of work with the Lightning, um, working for a tech company that was owned by Mr. Vinick. And I can seriously tell you guys, I have fallen in love with the sport of hockey. So it glad is, to hear it. There's nothing like it. So it's glad to hear it. It's just the coolest sport ever. Yep. And I've worked in lots of sports and there's nothing like it. And, and it's not just the, the speed and the grace and the finesse and all of that, but also the culture, like hockey people are the best. They're so mm -hmm. nice. We try. So, um, humble and respectful and I just love it. I'm just like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm never going back to any other sport. Yeah. Um, so, those are my top three. Top three. I mean, obviously, I can only imagine there can probably be a million things that you could have said there. Yeah. So, um, That's fascinating. I would love to ask you, like, <laughs> probably a hundred more questions. At but least. I won't. I won't. <laughs> but, um, well, guys, feel free to shoot me some follow-up questions, and I'm happy to shed some light on anything you guys are hoping to learn. Sounds good to us. Uh, Miss Deborah, we want to thank you again just for joining us. Um, I mean, we, we kind of we both kind of ran away from our script there a little bit. I mean, there was just so Truly much information. You're like it's the just, coolest person ever to me. Like, right it's now. just it's just so amazing just to hear about this new franchise, and we really can't wait. I mean, the whole league's going to just change. I'm going to buy a jersey. I'm buying a jersey. As soon as they come out. Yes. Hopefully, we're, you guys will turn into fans. Hopefully, you'll like the team name. <laughs> you, you, maybe maybe we could just order them a little little early maybe now. Yeah, yeah. We, we can get some insider information, order them, order them a little early. Yeah, We'd be the first people to get them. That would be sick. <laughs> yeah, you know someone now. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly think I just All met right, the well, coolest person ever. Thanks. Thanks. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for your time. All right. Talk soon. Thank right, you very much. Thank you again. Thanks again to Miss Detmer for uh, joining us. I mean, obviously, what you guys listened to, it wasn't the whole interview. We cut it up, but uh, she was very, very nice to us and was uh, talking to us the whole time, even asked us questions about what we thought, which was really cool. Yeah, it was super cool. She was super nice and super passionate about her job, and it's it's great to see somebody in an industry um, that's super passionate, you know, that isn't just going in to clock in and clock out. She just She genuinely enjoyed her job, and she's genuinely trying to improve how she can do her job better. And she asked us questions, like you said. So um, that was pretty great. So thank you so much to Heidi. Yeah, and I mean, just it was great to be able to talk to her and see just really how the NHL is going to change with the Seattle franchise. I mean, as we were speaking earlier, Vancouver doesn't—they don't have a rival, but now the Seattle team there, the Vancouver, Seattle's neighbor, right to the north. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's definitely going to be a rivalry. They're going to be in the same division, so that'll be good. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, and I mean, it's just going to be interesting. Like, I mean. 
I can't wait to see Boston go out there and play them in their first year. I mean, I mean any team. Yeah, I mean, if you're a if you're a fan of any team, I mean, like when Vegas was here, um, like when Boston played Vegas for the first time, I remember that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, that was. Cool. And even the first time I went to a. Uh, we, we, we went together actually to a uh, yeah. Vegas versus a uh, Boston game. Yeah, was, and we're like, we're gonna go see the new team. And like, it was this year. I mean, it was their yeah. second season, but it was still just the new team. So yep. it'll be really cool just to see how the league overall uh, changes yeah. up. Seattle's gonna take their new team title really quick. Yeah. So that's all we have for this episode of the Stampede. We want to thank you guys uh, for coming in and listening. Special um, thanks to the NHL Seattle group. Yep, and uh, hopefully the Bruins will be able to continue their run to the cup. I mean. Go bees, go bees. I mean, it looks like it's gonna be bees, and I mean, Carolina's hot. Carolina's hot. Carolina's hot. They're they're gonna be. We gotta be it's, it's Columbus be, first. It's gonna be the same thing in that in that side. Carolina and the Islanders. Islanders swept Penguins. They're gonna have a long layover. Carolina won in seven games against the defending Capitals. Stanley Cup champion Capitals. Carolina's gonna be have the momentum. Carolina's gonna be hot. They're gonna go in, and I think they're gonna beat the Islanders. And the Bruins are gonna beat Columbus because the Bruins are nasty. And it's going to be Bruins versus Carolina in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's my prediction. And that's what I'm stuck with. And the Bruins are going to beat Carolina in five games. That's what I'm saying. Who do you have coming out of the West? Out of the West, I got the Bruins. And they're going to be playing the St. Louis Blues. I can't wait to see that series because Jordan Binghamton and Brad Marchand are going to fight in that series. There's no way they do not fight. They're going to fight. You have the Blues? Yeah. Jordan Binghamton is going to fight Brad Marchand in that series. And that's going to be amazing to watch. San Jose is coming out of that side. No, they're not. Anyways. And if they weren't, it'd be Vegas. But Vegas is already out. Well, we already talked about that. Vegas got screwed. So we want to thank again the NHL Seattle group and uh, especially uh, Heidi Detmer for talking to us. We want to thank all you guys uh, once again just for listening to us all the way through. And uh, we hope that you guys certainly learned something new about the NHL Seattle franchise. It'll be starting up in three seasons. If you want to learn more about Norwood and the Nord Mustang in the NHS TV department and a little bit about our podcast, go to Mustang.media. And to learn more about our Mustang sports teams, go to Ustangs.com. You can check out at Ustangs underscore sports on Twitter and Instagram for the latest Mustang sports action. Well, that's all we have. I'm Joe Spadorsha. And I'm Michael Curley. Thanks for listening.